0: Good morning. If you'll take your Bible to Ruth chapter 4 with me. We're coming to the end here and... It it really, I hope, will only be the beginning of your study of the book of Ruth. We've taken three sermons to cover this whole book. Uh, Mr. Carroll was telling me that uh, he taught the book of Ruth for eight months one time. And I can see how. I can truly see how you could do that. There's so much here, and we're just going to scratch the surface this morning. You'll have plenty to talk about in Sunday school, I promise. We're just going to scratch the surface as we go this morning. Um, I find the book of Ruth... uh, through studying it this month and looking at it just an amazing piece of literature uh, and more than that just an amazing picture um, of the gospel many have called it the gospel according to Ruth and it truly reveals a lot about the character of God but it is a great literary work uh, Benjamin Franklin uh, among many of uh, his duties in life uh, he was one time an ambassador in France for America and as he was over there he was part of a literary society And uh, a member of the group would give a piece of literature, uh, present it to the group, and they would read it and go over it. Well, um, he decided uh, to give them a piece of literature to read, and they would meet again and talk about it. And uh, they told, they never, uh, many of the people in this literary society that uh, Benjamin Franklin was part of were liberals, um, uh, not Christians at all, atheists. And they uh, read this piece of literature he gave them. And they come back and say, Benjamin, we have got to publish this book. I mean, this is amazing. This is one of the greatest pieces of literature we've ever read. We've got to get it out there. And he said, oh, good friends, it is. It was the book of Ruth. He says it's already out there. It is in the Bible. Uh, and uh, and even uh, liberal atheists can admit it is a great piece of literature. But I, I hope to us this morning and to you it's much more than just a great piece of literature. Um, and what I want to do this morning is try to put a definition together for the word redeemed. We just sung a while ago uh, the song of the redeemed. What is the song of the redeemed? What is redemption? Um, There is a popular voice in um, Christian culture who has come out and said what Christians need to do is unhitch their faith from the Old Testament. Um, And I want to propose to you this morning uh, that we don't need to unhitch unhitch our faith from the Old Testament. In fact, I want to go as far to say is that you and I cannot really understand Christmas without understanding the book of Ruth Uh, all that God would have us understand it and I want to I want to say that for us to define words the word redemption uh, we throw around what we say Christian words a lot somebody come in may not know the words and sometimes we say we don't need to use all these Christian words well I want to go against that as well and say it's a biblical word and we need to use biblical words and there's nothing more biblical than the word redemption and the way we have to understand redemption is the way the Bible um, defines it And, and what I'm trying to say is we really cannot understand who Jesus is without the Old Testament God gave us the Old Testament to point to Jesus so that when uh, we look at the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus we could truly understand it he gave us almost all of history and all the Old Testament for us to understand who Jesus is and this doctrine of redemption is defined I believe all throughout the Old Testament and it is definitely the theme of chapter 4 as we're going to see here in a minute so uh, I want us to try to put the uh, together a working definition of uh, what redemption is in uh, in the chapter uh, 4 of Ruth. And here's my goal this morning. Um, if, if you say, if I was to ask you, what is redemption? And you would say, I don't really know. Well, I pray that if you don't know, if you've never experienced it, that this morning uh, you would be willing uh to accept the redemption that god god offers and secondly maybe you are a christian and you uh know what redemption is uh but i pray that i'll just the the scripture will excite you more to dive into what you have in jesus and to enjoy it daily and so i pray that's my goal this morning so let us start in uh ruth chapter 4 we're going to walk through the chapter quite quickly So please uh, hold on as we go. Uh, You may want to underline some things I want to point out to you. We're going to walk through the chapter, and then I want to try to put a definition together. Okay, here we go. In Ruth chapter 4, well, let me summarize how we got here very quickly. Uh, In the book starts out with a lady named Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, and they have two children in Bethlehem is where they live. Uh, Famine is in the land. Um, they're having a hard time finding food. They decide to go to Moab. And Moab was not just another country. It was a pagan country, not just a pagan country. It was really one of the greatest enemies of God, of God's people. They had given the Israelites a really hard time coming to the Promised Land, tried to curse them, went to battle with them, uh, responsible for a lot of hardships the Israelites went through. So that's where Elimelech decides to take his family. So they go to Moab. He dies. His two son dies. Naomi goes through funeral after after funeral, after funeral, and she is left um, with two Moabite daughter-in-laws, Orpha and Ruth. And uh, she decides to come back because there's food in Israel, in Bethlehem. And so she decides to come back. And Orpha says, I'm not going with you. Uh, but Ruth says, uh, I'm, I'm coming with you. She says, please don't come with me. I don't know how I can provide for you. I don't know how I can uh, take care of you. You have much more in Moab. She says, no, Uh please don't entreat me to leave you. I'm going with you. I'm going to take care of you. Your God will be my God, your people, my people. And the great... Uh, commitment statement in chapter one. So they go, and uh, Ruth gets to work very quickly. She's got to provide for Naomi, so she goes into a field. And the Bible says in chapter two, in Ruth, she just happened to go to a man named Boaz's field, and she goes in his field, and he decides to take this Moabite foreign lady and take care of her, go very beyond the law, beyond anything required of him, and take care of this foreign poor Moabite woman. And he takes care of her lavishly, and um, and then she figures out who Boaz is. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that here in just a second and she whoa what a change of events a woman decides to propose uh to this man that he would take his uh his blanket his wing and cast it over her and he decides to accept but we end chapter three with a great, great problem um he wants to marry her he wants to begin a relationship with her however in the law um what, they have a law called the kinsman redeemer law and we're going to look at that here in just a second but she decides, he decides that he cannot marry. There's another one who has to have an opportunity, somebody closer kin to Ruth and Naomi. Uh, And so there's another redeemer. And so this is the great problem that we have starting in chapter four. So here we go. Now we're ready. Chapter four, verse one. Uh, And Boaz tells Ruth, I'm going to go to the city gate and I'm going to try to work this out. Here we go. Now Boaz went to the gate and he sat down there and behold, The close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. A couple things I want to point out here in verse 1 to you. He goes to the city gate, and there's a close relative. This close relative, it's two words in the English, but it's one word in the Hebrew. It's the same word that we're going to see all throughout chapter 4. It's the word redeemer. It is the redeemer. The closer redeemer comes by. And uh, Boaz, uh, in in the language here, it says uh, Boaz had spoken. He just came by. Do you remember what I said a while ago in chapter 2 that Naomi just happened to go into the field of Boaz? Just happened to go. The writer uh, just says, she just happened to find Boaz's field. Here's the same kind of language. Uh, As he goes to the city gate, the near kinsman, who is closer kin to Naomi than um, Boaz is, he just happens to walk by. God's at work, just happenstance, huh? Uh, so Boaz said, come aside, friend. Uh, you might want to underline friend. That's interesting, he calls him friend. Uh, my Bible has a footnote. Does yours have one? Uh, down at the bottom of, uh, of my Bible, it says, it's the Hebrew word there, poloni alumnia. Now, uh, we're not going to say if that's pronounced correctly or not, but it literally means so-and-so. So the literal translation here is, Boaz said, the narrator, uh, and it says that this is Mr. So-and-so. It's just a Hebrew idiom. Uh, his, this man is not worthy to be named. And we're going to find out here in just a minute why he is unworthy to be named. Uh, why is that? So uh, literally we could read it. So Boaz said, come aside, Mr. So-and-so, and sit down here. So he came aside and he sat down. And it says he took 10 men of the elders of the city. He's at the city gate. And the city gate was like the Craigslist of today. It was Facebook. It was where everything happened. It was where everything of business and families and clans. It was where all that took place. So that's where Boaz is went to try to straighten this out. So he gets the elders there and sit down. And so they sat down. Verse 3. Then he said to the close relative, the Redeemer. Um, here's what he said to him. Naomi has come back from the country of Moab sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech and I thought to inform you saying buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people if you redeem it redeem it but if you will not redeem it then tell me that I may know for there is no one but you to redeem it and I'm next after you and listen to what he said I will redeem it so here's what's going on uh, in this passage God had provided a principle and a law unlike any other law in the ancient Near East. Nothing even close to this is heard of in any of the other cultures around. But he had given land when they come into the promised land. Every clan, every tribe, had every family had land, and their name was attached to that land. And when poverty would come or, or slavery for whatever reason or oppression would come, and they would not be, a, or death, they would not be able to keep the land, they'd have to sell it. God provided a way, uh, a law, and it's in Leviticus 25, that uh, a man could come, a kin, whoever is next of kin, could come and buy back the land and give it, and, and buy back the land, and the family could keep the land. The land would stay in the clan, the land would stay in the tribe, it wouldn't have to go to anybody else. And so uh, here's this redeemer, but there's more at stake here than just the land. Uh, In Deuteronomy 25, there's another law and it's called the Leverite marriage law. And what would happen is if a man had died and left a wife with no children, the closest of kin, the closest closest brother could come and take uh, the widow as his wife and bear a child with her and the name, the seed of the one who had died could continue. The name was so important. There's two things so important to these people. The land. God had given them this land that was so important for the families to keep the land. As my dad says, uh, they're not making any more of it. I mean, land was so important to them. Uh, and not only that, uh, but more important to the land was the name. That somebody's name would continue to go on. That was more important than anything. So when Naomi has no children in, uh, in Moab, when her Two sons die, and she's left barren with no grandchildren. This is the curse of all curses, because there's no one to carry on the name of her husband, Elimelech. But however, God had provided a way through these two laws where the land could stay in the family and the name could continue. But what had to happen is there had to be a redeemer. There had to be a kinsman redeemer. To, we uh, In the language, is just one word. We say kinsman redeemer, but the word redeemer, In the Old Testament here, it includes, it had to be a kinsman. Someone close of kin could come by the land, marry the widow, and continue the name and the land. So that's what's going on. So there's Boaz, who Ruth has found and asked to marry him. But Boaz says, I can't marry you. There's somebody closer. There's somebody more kin. And we have to ask him. So he goes to the city gates, and he says, will you redeem it? In verse 4, he says, I will redeem it. So everybody's like, oh, no. Can you act like you don't know the end of the story for just a second? Uh, I don't know about you. I don't even know where my truck key is right now. Just to be honest, I forgot where I put it yesterday. So uh, there's great uh, chance you don't know the end of the story. You've forgotten it already, because certainly that's uh, a great prospect for me as well. Uh, but let's just act for a minute we don't know the story. And, and and the reader is sitting at the edge of their seat. The audience is saying, "Oh no, Bo- Ruth likes Boaz. She wants him to marry him. But this other man says he's going to redeem it. He's going to mar- He's going to. He's going to redeem it." Oh, gosh, but look, look at the next verse. And Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. Do You see what's going on there? Not only do you take the land, Mr. So-and-so, but you also have to marry Ruth so that uh, Malion's name and Elimelech's name family will continue. You have to marry her. And so, what's he going to say? Is he going to say, okay, I will redeem it. Or I will also marry Ruth. What's he going to say? Look at it. Look what he says in verse 6. And the close relative said, and I can just imagine. It's the buildup, right? Here. I can just imagine. Ruth has made their way to the city gates. Uh, Naomi has made their way to the city gates. And they're, they're waiting. What's going to happen? Am I going to have to marry Mr. So-and-so? Or am I going to get the guy I want? Is he going to redeem us? Or is Mr. So-and-so going to redeem us? Here it is. And verse six, and the close relative said, "I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it." He says, "I can't do it," and I imagine the whole crowd goes wild. Yeah, you won't do it. Uh, Boaz will do it, and uh, so so here. uh, But why why did why was he not willing to do it? Well uh he was willing to take the land because he took the land he would be able to farm it keep it in the family he would be able to take it and give it as inheritance to his children it would just be great uh but however (coughs) marrying ruth because if he has to give ruth an heir then that child will get the inheritance as well as his children so that messes up all his plans of inheritance so he's not willing to redeem it. This is interesting. Uh, I think the next couple verses to understand, in Deuteronomy 25, when it talks about the Leverite marriage, you can go back and study it later, it says that if a person would not redeem it, the person, the widow who needed redeeming, could take off her shoe, this is so interesting, take off her shoe and slap him. <laughs> you don't even need soap poppers. All you need is the Old Testament. And it, it, it just hold on. It's going. We're getting. To, it's going to get better. I promise. Uh, whoa. So. Why? Because it was a shame. God was a God of redemption. God was the great Goel. He was the person close to kin to his people who revealed himself, who made him known and uh, redeemed his people. He was a God who is a kinsman redeemer. And they're supposed to be God's image in the world. The Israelite people were supposed, they were supposed to look at that nation and say, there's the God of the universe. Look how they act. Look how they take care of the poor. Look how they are people of redemption. Look at it. But if you're not going to do that, if you're not going to redeem, if you're not going to be an image bearer of God the way you should, what you're worthy of is a good shoe slapping. and. Your, but here's what we have. Uh, so that being said, look what happens. Can you not tell this is about redemption? Go through and count how many times the word redeemed is used here. And close relative, because that's the same word in the original language. It's all about redemption. In verse 7, Now this was the custom in, for, in um, former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore the close relative said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal, and Boaz to, said to the elders and all the people, You are my witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chileon's and Mahlon's from the hand of Naomi. I think what's happening here, and it may be hard to understand, but biblically I think what's happening is uh, you see all throughout the Old Testament when people are in the presence of holiness and the presence of God, they would come at the burning bush. God tells Moses, take off your shoes for the place you're standing is holy. Joshua in chapter 5, when he comes before the, the Lord of hosts, he says, uh, the angel of the Lord, we know there is God. He says, take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy. And so they have this, this holy duty here. It's holy duty. And he takes his shoe off. And what's happening is, I have this duty to redeem her, but I, I'm not going to take my shoe off. I want not get it back on. It's tied pretty tight. Um, and you wouldn't want that either. Uh, and so he, he takes it off and says, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. This holy, this holy thing, I'm not going to do it, but you do it. And, and I think what the text is telling us is that he's not even named. He's not a person of redemption. And, and here's the thing. Think about it. Did Boaz know this man? Yes. He's close of kin. He's in his clan. He's in his family. Boaz knows who this man is. The narrator knows who this man's name is. Think about the names we have. We have Orpha's name. Orpha. The other Moabite sister-in-law that did not come uh, like Ruth did, who turned away and went back to Moab. And think about it. We have her name. We have all these names in the text. But we do not have this man's name. Why? In a way of shame, I believe the narrator is saying he was not willing to do his duty of redemption. But Boaz was but Boaz was. So I think that's what's happening here in the text. And so I think that's a warning to us. As God's people, we're supposed to be a people of redemption. We're supposed to understand redemption and showcase that for the world. But what the question on the table for us this morning is, do we understand redemption? And are we people of redemption? Um, I remember a conversation I had with a, a lady I love dearly. And um, she was having a really hard time forgiving somebody. I mean, somebody had wronged her and really hurt her. And she said, "I just cannot find it in myself to forgive." And the only thing I knew to say was, you're a believer, right? You're a Christian? Yes, I am. You've been forgiven for the most heinous of crime. A high hand against Almighty God in sin uh, that deserves death, rebellion against God. You've been forgiven of that in Christ Jesus and been given eternal life, daughtership in the kingdom of God. you've been given you've been forgiven of the worst by God can't find it in yourself to forgive this person. This was a comment. Maybe I don't really believe. Hmm. Telling just the fact that um, maybe she hadn't really experienced redemption. And uh, it's so crucial that we are not Mr. So-and-so or Miss So-and-so, that we understand redemption. What is it and how do we live it out? Let's keep going in the text. Uh, And and so uh, here, uh, But it's also exciting that Boaz has decided to redeem it, and he's going to take care of it. In verse 10, look what he says. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren. Do you see that? the name, His name. His name is important. And his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elder said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the women who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who build up the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Who's Rachel and Leah? Well, that's uh, Jacob's two wives. That's Israel. God changed his name to Israel. They had the 12 uh, sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. May you be fruitful like that. May you, Her name may the, be famous in Israel. Look at verse 12. Oh, this is good. May your house be like the house of Perez. House of Perez? Whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from his young women. Underline Tamar just a second. We're going to come back to her. And look. Uh, it, this is really, the, the it just keeps getting better. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Oh, now we have a wedding. We had funerals, now we have weddings. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Now we have a son. We have a wedding, and we have a baby. And now look who is addressed. Verse 14. Then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. Who's he talking about there? Who, who's the, this is such an interesting verse, verse 14. This, these women, they bless Naomi, and they say, uh, Who has not left you this day without a close relative? Who's the close relative they're talking about here? And may his name be famous in Israel. Whoever the close, This is the only time anywhere in the Old Testament that the close relative, the Redeemer, is a child, is a baby. How do you you know that's talking about a baby? What did they say? May his name be famous in Israel. Well, is he talking about Boaz? Well, Boaz is already famous in Israel. No. He's talking about this baby. This baby whose name we're going to find out is Obed. He's a redeemer. What is that? How is he a redeemer? Oh, look who is also a person of redemption. Look at verse 15. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law. Who loves you is better than seven sons has born him. So, these women of Bethlehem, who are people of redemption, are telling your daughter in law, this baby is a close redeemer, close relative of a redeemer, and this daughter in law of yours is better than seven sons. Now, to, I know that didn't strike you as something crazy, uh, but it, to the original reader, this would have been like, what? Better than seven sons? In that day, what kind of children did they want? Not that they didn't want daughters, but they really wanted male children, didn't they? I don't think about this much, but uh, on my on my family, the Porters, I'm the last male. I have three cousin girls. Um, they, you know, they're going to marry. My, the Porter name couldn't continue. I'm the only one, right? So, uh, you know, we'd always joke, uh, "You're the you're the last Porter. Got gotta have a boy. You know, you gotta keep it going." I didn't think about that when I married Renee. We gotta have a boy. You know, we're just laughing. We not I didn't really think about it, but. Uh, and we had a boy, praise God, you know, and the name can continue. And I don't even think about that. I mean, in one way it is important, but another way, it's not that big a deal. If it'd been a girl, it'd been even that, I mean, I loved it even, I mean, it'd been the same, right? It's not that big a deal for us, but for them, it's everything. And for that, for these ladies to say to, to Naomi, that girl, that Moabite woman is better than seven sons. What's Seven. In the Bible, and it, uh, we're not going to get allegorical at all. But it, no, seven is completion because seven days in six days created the world. Seven he rested its completion. He's saying this is better. If you had seven sons, that's the perfect family in that day. If you had seven sons, that's the family everybody wanted. They're saying that one daughter-in-law, that one woman, is better than a perfect family. What are you? How is she? Because she is a person of redemption who has brought redemption to Naomi and they're addressing Naomi. I I find that interesting. And isn't it Naomi who is really the person being redeemed? It's Naomi who went from famine and funeral and now has been redeemed and now is taken care of and has been given a grandson so that the name of her husband and her sons can continue. She's the one truly being redeemed. Um, And look at verse 16. The author wants you to see verse 16 and have this picture in your mind. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom, and he became a nurse to him. Why isn't it Ruth holding the child? It's Naomi. Why is Naomi? He wants you to see this picture of Naomi holding a baby. Friend, now having a child, I understand this a little bit, and parents, you do as well. Is there anything better than rocking a baby to sleep? Is there anything better? Are you ever more proud in all your life than when you hold your baby? Is there ever a more proud moment in all your life, the first time you get to hold the baby? And on and on, as long as they let you hold them, I hope that happens for at least the next 10 years, you know? I mean, uh, is there anything more proud when the baby wants you to hold? I mean, is there anything better than that? She's proud. Man, she's been redeemed. God has given her a baby. It's amazing. She's proud of it. And it keeps getting better. Let's keep going. Uh, and also, the neighbor woman gave him a name saying, There is a son born to Naomi. They called him Obed. Wait a minute. He is the father of Jesse. Have you ever been to a movie? And uh, this happened to me at one of the Avenger movies. I don't remember which one of the first ones. You know, the movies over the credits are running, and then you're walking out of the theater, and all of a sudden another scene pops up, and you're like, Oh, don't wait a minute. Wait a minute. Something else is happening. Something else is happening. That's what happened here. The, uh, the, um, the thing whatever the sheet has closed (laughs) the curtain has closed the show is over but wait a minute there's more Obed is the son of Jesse what and Jesse is the son of David whoa this could not get any better than this right here this is how God brought about David. This is how God brought about, the first reader would said. this is how God brought about our greatest king ever, David, who ruled and reigned and defeated all our enemies and gave us plenty and we're richer than we ever were. This is how God did that? Through this Moabitess woman? Whoa. This is how He did it? Through the redemption of Naomi? Whoa. And then look at this line, verse 18. Now, this is the genealogy of Perez. Why did it start with Perez? Perez, look at verse 12 again, the house of Perez, whom Tamar, them two are connected, big time. Why would he start, why would the author, we have genealogies and we don't think anything of them, do we? Well, I guess we do. You know, Ancestry.com and all that. Did you anybody get that for Christmas? I don't know. You know, we're starting to get a little more interested in all that kind of stuff. The Jews are more interested in that than anybody. It's interesting the Mormons own all that. Anyhow, we're, we're not going there. But uh, the genealogy of Perez, Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Amenadab, and Amenadab begot Neshon, and Neshon begot Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. There's ten generations there. But they start with Perez. Why is that so interesting? I've got to say this before we continue. Tamar in the house of Perez. Who is Tamar? The original reader would have linked The story of Ruth and the story of Tamar in Genesis 38. Uh, So here's what happens. Tamar is one of Judah's son. She's married to him. He dies. So we have this kinsman redeemer law, right? She marries another son. Judah gives him another son. He dies. Uh, she gives him another son. He dies. She's went through three husbands. Give him another one. They die. Judah's like I'm not giving you any more husbands. you something's happening. I'm not giving you any more of them. She dressed up like a prostitute. She tricks Judah his her father in law to sleeping with him, and she has another baby. I'm t- it, yeah. hmm <laughs> However, however, uh, but the original reader would have seen here's a lady who is in need of redemption of kinsmen need a kinsman redeemer. And, and God ended up using her. Here she is, even in her sin and in, in her trickery and her deception, God still has her name in this genealogy. God redeemed her. They would have saw that and said, that's the story of Ruth also. And so I want to say a couple things. At now now that we've walked through the text, let us define redemption, okay? Are you okay? We got to run through it. Okay, here very quickly, let us refine, define redemption. Redemption always starts with a redeemer. You have to have a redeemer. And we said already that the redeemer has to be kin. They have to be close. Boaz had to wait because there was somebody kin closer. And Boaz is a close relative. Um, and, and this isn't this the interesting thing about uh, the text? It was, well, hold on, we'll get there. Um, there's so many... Uh, Good things. I'm telling you, all we got time to do is scratch the surface, okay? That's all we got time to do. Uh, but he had to be kinned. Not only did he have to be kin, think about it, he had to be wealthy. Had to have the money to buy back the land. He had to have the money to do it. If he didn't, he couldn't buy it back. Not only did he have to have the money and the wealth to buy back, he had to be willing to do it. You see, Boaz is in uh, contrast to Mr. So-and-so. Though he had the money, and though he was close, he didn't want to. But Boaz wants to. Boaz is a kinsman, he's a near kinsman, he has the money, and he wants to redeem Naomi. He wants to be a near kinsman uh, to Ruth. He wants to do it. But isn't this interesting that uh, in verse 14, as we, po- we pointed out, that this baby is the Redeemer. And, and, and going through, how is he the Redeemer? Well, in verse 17 and 18 and 19, 20, he is, he, how, is, how is this small child the Redeemer? He's connected to David. And here's why this is so much better for me and you than them. We know that it keeps going, that that's not the end of the story, right? We go to Matthew chapter 1, and this is what Christmas is all about right here. That in the line of David is Jesus. He is a redeemer. God is a redeemer. And how is Jesus the redeemer? Think of it just a minute. Why, what is Christmas all about? It's about God becoming man. And why did God become man? So that he could be a redeemer. So that he could be akin to you and I. He was in the flesh. He walked the same world we walked. He went through the same things we go through. He became one of us. That's what Christmas is all about. Why? So he could become a near kinsman redeemer. Not only did he become one of us, but he also had the resources to buy us back. What did he have to have? He had to be righteous. He had to be holy. He had to be without sin. And we see him loving God, loving others, obeying the law perfectly through his life. Think about it. He told the seas to stand still. I mean, he, he told the demons to flee. Uh, everything obeyed him. Not only did he not only did he become a near kinsman, not only did he have the right to redeem us, he had the resources. He was God in the flesh. In that meaning, he was righteous. He was perfect so that he could buy us back. And not only that, but he wanted to do it. He wanted to do it. He wanted to redeem us, even though he knew the price. You see, uh, uh, Boaz, it says in verse 9, he bought all that was a limilex. He had to buy it. He had to want to do it. And thank God that Jesus wanted to redeem us. He wanted to go to the cross and bear the wrath of God for you and I. He is the near kinsman redeemer. You have to have a redeemer. Redemption starts with a redeemer. And uh, here's here's, here's where it gets even better. The redeemer has to come into relationship with somebody who's rejected and somebody who's Who is outcast and isn't that the story of the text here isn't that the story of how Boaz comes into relationship with Ruth an outcast a foreigner cast out in in verse twelve, we talked about Tamar and how she was cast out how she all her uh, husbands had died and she was cast out and she needed redeeming and and why why did it start with Perez to connect us to the story of Tamar why ten generations At the end of chapter 4, why did the writer give us 10 generations? Think about the number 10 in the book of Ruth. They were in Moab 10 years, barren, no children, barren, destitute. 10. And they knew the law. The person reading this knew that the Moabite and the Ammonite and all the termites, especially the Moabites, they were not for 10 generations to be allowed into the camp of Israel, they were cursed. They were outcasts. They were rejected. But the Redeemer, here's what redemption is. is when the Redeemer comes into relationship with the outcast and the rejected. And that's what's happening in the text. And that's also the story. This is in the time of the judges, is it not? We start out, Ruth chapter 1, and in the time of the judges, when God's people, when everybody did what was right in their own eyes, when everybody turned their back on God, God didn't turn his back on them. God entered into relationship with a rejected and foreign people that is what redemption is all about and is that not and this should mean much to us as Gentiles reading this I don't know some of them here may be born a Jew however if not we're born Gentiles cast out from God's people not a part of the covenant promises of God But yet God is showing that he grafts in the Gentiles, that he brings in us. And so we are an outcast people, a cursed people. But redemption is when he enters into relationship with an outcast and rejected people. And there's this word redemption, but it doesn't stop there. Redemption is when we have a redeemer who enters into relationship with an outcast and rejected people. And here's what happens. He restores land and name. He restores land and name. Uh, in the text, you see it in verse 10. He buys all the stuff, uh, all the uh, land that Elimelech had, Chilion had, and Melon had. He bought all the land. And now the reader would say, yeah, the land got to stay. And as you track the story of uh, when they're taken into exile, uh, the story of Israel, when they're taken into exile by the Babylonians, they don't have their land anymore. It's taken from them. It's terrible. And then they get to come back, and you have Nehemiah and Ezra, and they're trying to get the land and the temple and everything fitted just right. But then uh, the Greeks come and take over, and then the Romans come and take over. And, and then we find when Jesus is born, that's the situation they're in the land, but the land is not theirs. The land is, is the Romans. And uh, you, do you see this? You see these characters in the Gospels who are zealots, kind of like a terrorist. But here's what their motivation was, to get the land back. They're, that's why they didn't see Jesus as he was. They thought he, he, when he said he was the Messiah, they said, yes, a Messiah who will give us the land back. A Messiah who will conquer Rome and, and kick them out of our land, and we'll have our land back. Land was such a big thing to them. And friend, uh, you may not know this, but when you're redeemed, when you come in a relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, one of the things you and I get—and and, uh, this may not mean anything to you, but it, it maybe it should—Jesus uh, says, "The meek shall inherit the earth." Think about this for just a second. Do you remember the story of Noah? Noah was mocked and ridiculed. He was part of the minority, right, big time. But after he got off that ark, he was the majority. he the whole world was his the whole world the bible says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and friend we are going to inherit it the bible says we are co-heirs in galatians we are heirs and co-heirs with jesus when we enter think about this ruth ruth she starts out and she's just in chapter two gleaning from this field and she just starts out you know picking stuff up people have left behind that the poor could do she's just picking that up she's just a slave and when she enters into a relationship with boaz after the after the wedding she goes into the field the field is hers she's in relationship with the redeemer and the field is hers and friend when you and i in a relationship with jesus christ in eternity and that's a key i think for us as christians in eternity the land we're co-heirs with jesus it's going to be ours it's all going to be ours the whole world is going to be ours Uh, and see i think i thought about this did naomi holding that baby did she ever know what God was going to do through Obed and Jesse and David. And down to Jesus, no, she didn't know it. Think about it. God was doing something great. I think about the story of Job. You know, isn't it interesting? Job loses 10 children, right? And he's the one of the richest person in the East. He loses it all. And, and because the devil had met with God, and uh, we're told in the story that the uh, devil said, he only worships you and serves you because of what you gave him. He, and God says, take it away and see what he does. And at the end, after Job goes through all his suffering, and he hangs on to God, and God comes back, and you think, okay, God's going to tell him now why he went through all that. Does he? He never tells him. Job never knows why he went through all that. And God says, where are you when I created the world? Where were you when I hung the stars? I'm God. He didn't know. And friend, you and I may not ever know why you and I go through the trials and tribulations in this life. But this I can promise you. We have no reason to be jealous of anybody in this world. We have no reason to see the rich and the famous and say, oh, I wish I could be like that. Friend, you and I are co-heirs with Jesus. And we have more than anybody could ever imagine in Jesus Christ. Not only not only the land but the name. Do do you see that in verse uh, 10? I have acquired my wife to perpetuate. I have Sweated over saying that word perpetuate. I just want to let you know that. <laughs> uh, 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 I, I, um, so I can that word means to continue on, to keep going. So I can keep the name going of the dead through his inheritance. And look in verse ten, uh, verse eleven. At the end, Ruth is praying about Ruth that she may be famous in Bethlehem. Right. Oh. Can you go with me to Matthew one quickly? Can you go there? I want to show you this, and I want you to keep in mind as you go there. I want you to think about how proud how proud uh Naomi is holding that baby how proud she was of her name more than anything not only the cuteness of that baby and the amazingness of that baby but how proud she is that her line is going to continue the name of her husband is going to continue Matthew chapter one I don't know about you sometimes we read the uh Christmas story at Christmas do you do that anybody read the genealogy no, because you're like, why is it there? Why did they put the genealogy there? It don't matter to us, but to a Jew, it matters so much. It is everything to a Jewish person. Herod, the king that had all the babies killed in time of Jesus, he tried to destroy every genealogy the Jews had so nobody could say they were a king and nobody could take power from him. He, they tried, but friend, it was preserved. And I want, to, I want you to see a couple of things. This is so good. Um, get this. Look in verse 3. Now, this genealogy is amazing. Because you don't include women in genealogies in this time. And you, and you, you, you make sure it's, you have a very good, you know, you come from a good bloodline, right? In verse 3, Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Why would you put Tamar in the genealogy? She's an ancestral woman. Why would you, why would you do that? Tamar. Look in verse 5. Simon begot Boaz. And here we're told who Boaz's mother is. Rahab. Why would you put Rahab in there? She's a prostitute. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Why would you put Ruth in there? She's a foreign Moabite woman. And look at verse 6. And Jesse begot David the king, and David the king begot Solomon by her whom had been the wife of Uriah. Who was that? Bathsheba. Why would you put Bathsheba in the genealogy? She's an adulterer. Her and David. Why would you put her in there? Do you know who you put in a genealogy? People you're proud of. In your genealogy, when you present it to somebody that day, you put people's name you were proud of. What's God saying with this genealogy? These are the people that I'm proud of. These are the people who are my people. These are the people I want you to know about. And, friend, I don't know about you. You know, the the, uh, world tells us that, um, you know, that the answers are on the inside, You know, and that the problems are on the outside, but we've got the answer down deep. All you got to do is watch Oprah and she'll tell you that, I promise. It's down deep in there, right? But friend, the Bible says it's the very opposite. The problem is in here. And the answer is in God out there. It's through a Redeemer. But I don't know about you, but because when I look deep inside and I try to find the answers, it's like scuba diving in a cesspool. I mean, it's bad in there. Would you be honest say the same thing? That in there is nothing good? That when you really look deep in there, there's nothing good in there. And friend, God knows you and me better than we know ourselves. He knows that. But here's, here's the gospel. Here's the gospel. When you and I enter a relationship with the Redeemer, he is proud of us. He, he looks at you and said, Dennis, you're my child. I, I know you. I know your sins. I know what you've done wrong. But I'm proud of you. How? Because when you and I enter a relationship with the Redeemer, his righteousness becomes ours. You see what happened when Jesus died on the cross? When he bought us, he took our sins, he paid for them. Not only did he take our sins and pay for us and we're forgiven, but we have his righteousness. And Romans says, blessed is the man who God will not impute iniquity. God will, if you're a Christian you in a relationship with a Redeemer, your name will never be marred. No matter what you do or who you are or what you've done. Your name, when he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of God because you are in a relationship with the Redeemer. That's what the gospel is. That's the good news, is that our name can be good. Listen, I've got to make a couple observations, and then I'll be finished, okay? Um, number one about the book of Ruth. Number one, think of this. I just, as looking through the whole book, what is redemption? Redemption is when you have a Redeemer who's enter, who enters into a relationship with the outcast and rejected, and he restores to them land and name. You and I can have a good name, a better name than anybody, because we have the righteousness of Christ. Think about this. What Naomi lost in Moab. Okay, think about what she lost. What she got when she was redeemed by Boaz was much better than what she lost. Think about it. What did she lose? She lost a marriage. She lost her husband. She lost her two sons. And the opportunity to have her line continue, right? When they died, she lost that opportunity. They were barren. Her Moabite, no children, they're barren. She lost that. But what she got in Boaz was a name, not only a name and a line continuing, but she got wealth and she is taken care of by Boaz. She's got more grain than she can ever know what to do with. She's going to be taken care of for the rest of her life. And not only that, but not only does she have a name that's going to continue, her husband's name is directly connected to King Jesus. What she lost in Moab, she has much more in Boaz. She has much more in Boaz than she ever lost in Moab. Friend, that's true about us as Christians. The Bible says uh, we are either in one of two men, either in Adam or in Jesus in Romans chapter 5. And I want to say this, what we lost in Adam, what we have in Christ is much better. Think about it. What did Adam get in the garden when he walked with God? Oh, how awesome it was to be in the garden and walk with God. But when he sinned, just one sin, he got God's justice he got kicked out. He was done. And friend, what do you and I have in Jesus Christ? We have grace. We sin that his mercy is more. I would rather be a redeemed saint than an innocent angel or Adam and Eve in the garden. Because I don't have justice, praise God. I have grace. Where It doesn't matter because I have the righteousness of God. And It doesn't matter about my record. It matters about his. I don't have justice. The justice for my sin was paid for on the cross, but what I have is much better. It's his mercy. What Naomi lost in the garden, she got much more in Boaz. And what you and I have in Jesus is much more than we ever lost in Adam. And I want to say this as I, as I think about it. I want to go back. I skipped this because we didn't have time, but maybe God knew what He's doing. At the end of chapter 2, Remember, Boaz just happens to go into the field to find Boaz. And, and she's going in this field, and man, Boaz comes and said, Who's that lady? Bring her over here. All right. All right. She do not got to pick with the, uh, in the edges like the law says. Come here. Give her lunch. Give her grain. And at the end of the day, take all this grain home with you. And she serves him lunch. And it's just a great day she's provided for. She goes home with all this grain for Naomi. And I imagine Naomi all day long has been waiting, right? I wonder if she found any grain. I hope she was able. Maybe we'll have a little snack when when we get home. And she gets home, and she says, "Hey, I got a little grain for you from lunch." But not only that, I got all this grain that will do for months from this guy named Boaz. I bet Naomi's like, "Oh yes, I get to eat dinner. Thank God. I'm not only gonna eat dinner, I'm going to eat all month long." And then she says, "Wait, where did you get it?" Oh, at this guy's field named Boaz. Think about this. We know who Boaz is because it tells us he's a near kinsman. She had no idea who he was. No idea. She says, Ruth, wait a minute. It gets better. It gets better. Just hold on, Ruth. Just hold on. Do you know who that is? That is a near kinsman. Can you imagine? Oh, whoa, what a great day. It just gets better and better and better. And then you think about the end. You think about, just think about Ruth. She is a Moabite woman, a foreigner. She comes in chapter 2, she's a slave. In chapter 3, she's a maidservant. And in chapter 4, she's married, and everything that's Boaz is hers. It just gets better and better. And not only that, in Matthew 1, she's a descendant of Jesus. It just gets better and better and better and better. Proverbs, I love it when it says, uh, the path of the righteous is like the coming of the day, getting brighter and brighter to the coming day. The path of the righteous is like the shining sun getting brighter and brighter. You ever been in the deer stand? You know, and you're sitting there, and it just gets, you know, it's beautiful, right? Right at dusk, you know, and it just gets brighter. You can see 20 yards. Then you can see 40. Oh, how beautiful. And, it, and it's, it's just as time goes, it gets better and better and better. How does sin work? Think about it. Uh, the Bible says sin is joyful for a season, doesn't it? In James 1.15, uh, James says sin, our desire, we're brought about by our desires, our lustful desires. And when they conceive, they give birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings death. Oh, we wouldn't sin if it wasn't fun, would it? I mean, it's enjoyable. That's why we do it. That's why we're enticed by it. But friend, it, it, it's good when it, when it, right there for the moment. But it just brings more and more death. It, it gets as good as it gets, and after that, it just gets worse and worse and worse. Not God's redemption, friend. Not at all. It's the very opposite. It's great when it starts. It's amazing when it starts. But, friend, it gets better and better and better and better. Think about this. Look at, look how chapter 4 is structured. Oh, uh, Boaz is going to redeem her. Yes. But not only that... Uh, they have a baby. Yes, not only that, that baby is is the descendant of David, and David the descendant of Jesus. It just gets better and better and better and better. You think about the Christian life for just a second. Man, it's great when you got saved, wasn't it? Wasn't it amazing? It's just, it's just praise God, right? I mean, eternal security. I've got Jesus Christ as my Savior. I have eternal life, but then the more you grow in it, man, I've got purpose in life. I get to tell this message and help others understand how they can be redeemed and be disciples and follower of Jesus and understand the joy that's there and the peace that's there. Oh, how amazing it is. I have purpose. And not only that, um, I understand truth now. I understand why there's truth. And it just gets better. And then you come to the place of death. And you say, oh, no, but, friend, for the Christian, it just gets better after you die. The Bible says absent from the body to be present with the Lord. We were talking about Renee's grandfather died last year. And Renee said, you know what? I bet, buddy, had the best Christmas this year. Isn't that true, though? He had a much better Christmas than we had, didn't he? There in the presence of God. And friend, think about it. For Renee's grandfather's Christian Wayne, it's just going to get better from where he is. The Bible says that the trumpet, when the trumpet will sound, that the dead in Christ will rise, and those who went with him will come back again and be glorified. And the Christian, see, not only one day we'll be present, if we die, be present with the Lord, but when he returns, when he comes back... His physical second coming. We're going to have new bodies. The Bible says we're going to be like Jesus. And friend, it's just getting better from there. I have a great uh, suspicion that it only gets better from that point on. Friend, that's redemption. What's redemption? When there's a redeemer who connects with an outcast and rejected people and restores to them land and a name. Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 says, The Lamb has redeemed them by his blood. The question is, do you understand redemption? I, I've tried my best to explain it. I've tried my best to give you a definition from Ruth chapter 4. Maybe this morning you'd say, I understand it. And I want to enter into a relationship with the Redeemer so that I can be restored a name and a land, the name of Jesus, an eternal land, a new heaven, and a new earth. This morning, that's the offer on the table. Would you accept it? Christian, do you understand redemption better? Do you want to understand it more? Do you want to have a life that just tries to understand it and experience it and lead others in it? How the Lord leads you this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. Go ahead. Stand with us. As song comes, I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to sing, His mercy is more. Christian, I want you to shout it out. And this morning, if you've never been redeemed, if you've never entered a relationship with the Redeemer, that's the offer on the table. You say, how do I do that? You simply put your faith in Jesus Christ. We want to help you in that. We want to help you how to do that. How would you help me in doing that? Simply this. It's the decision you make to put your faith in Jesus Christ. That the story of redemption that we've talked about is true. And that Christ is the Redeemer. And this morning, if you'd like to enter a relationship, would you everybody bow their heads and pray with me this morning? If you'd like to enter a relationship with the Redeemer, would you say a prayer like this? Father, I believe you sent a Redeemer. His name is Jesus. I want to enter into a relationship with him because I believe he died on the cross and that he rose again. God, I put my faith in you.